those of you who were here last week, when I opened this black folder, <laughs> it was empty. <laughs> I had uh, printed my manuscript uh, and left it in the printer. Um, today it's not empty, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm grateful for that. If you have your copies of Scripture, if you will, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. <coughs> I want to remind you that uh, those that you don't see here today, if you will, just uh, reach out to them during the course of the week. Uh, many of them have checked in and said, hey, I'm uh, going to be out of town today. We have some uh, away involved in ministry in other places. We have some visiting family. Um, but encourage them, let them know that uh, you, have, uh, you have missed them and uh, missed their presence. Uh, we've mentioned over the course of the last couple of weeks that uh, today is the beginning of our identity series. That simply means that today, along with the next two Sundays, uh, we will pause in the midst of our uh, regular preaching schedule and we'll just revisit why we exist. So if you have uh, your copies of the uh, worship guide, if you'll open that up uh, and point you back to uh, the unnumbered page, the one right behind the cover page, you'll see at the top in bold, uh, and it's there every week, Oak Valley Church exists to love God supremely, love others sacrificially, and live in the world distinctively. Um, it's short, uh, not intended to be catchy. Um, it is biblical. That's why we exist. In fact, uh, I believe that every church's purpose statement, mission statement, the reason that they exist, should fit within these three categories, no matter how they may say it, uh, because these things are clearly biblical. We are going to revisit why we exist. We believe it's important uh, for us to do that. But here's what I want to remind you. Um, what we do each week uh, is about these three things. So our preaching and teaching ministry, our corporate gatherings as, we having, uh, as we're doing today, the passages of Scripture we read, the songs that we sing, our prayers, our confessions, all of these things, our children's discipleship ministry, our youth discipleship ministry, our missions, our ministry partnerships are all directly related to these three things. They always will be directly related to these three things. But it's helpful for us to stop and to define ever so often who we are and what that means in terms of of the way we do life here together uh, and the way we do life in the larger context of the world. So uh, next week uh, we will give attention to what it means to love others sacrificially and how we understand that and how God's word directs us to see that and who has modeled that most for us in Christ. Uh, and then our last week together in our identity series, we will give attention to what it means to live in the world distinctively. We should be different. We are different. Those who trusted Christ are different. Uh, 
We walk different. We talk different. We think different. We act different. We respond different. Or we should. Uh, and we want to look at these things. So we're going to begin with the first portion of our purpose statement today. That is that we exist to love God supremely. You probably noticed in the 136th Psalm, what did we rehearse 26 times? 26 times in that Psalm, you said, we said together in unison that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. I don't know if you counted them, but 26 times we said that. We started there because we can't love God apart from Him loving us. He loved us first. We need to be reminded of the extreme love that God has for us. Uh, we looked at that in our text. We have prayed it today. We have acknowledged it because it's true. His steadfast love endures forever. We want to begin here talking about loving God supremely because this is the beginning point. In other words, there is a natural order as we rightly live our lives, and it begins with a supreme love for God. Uh, there is a relatively easy way to determine this, that this is intended from the very beginning. We look back in Genesis 1 and 2 at the creation story. Uh, we get a sense that God has loved and has operated and acted out of love, a love that he enjoys within the Godhead, and then a love then that is expanded to those he created in his image, and then the love that comes back to him from them. Let's look at it for just a moment. Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. In other words, a blessing that flows from the loving nature of God. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit and you shall have them for your food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth everything that has breath of life I have given every green plant for food and so it was and God saw that everything that he made and behold it was very good. Did you hear that? All these things God created and he created them and then gifted them, if you will, gave them to those that were created in his image for them to care for. Good gifts from God, love from God coming and being poured out on his image bearers. We are his image bearers. We are created in the image of God. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 23, we hear, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. And now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field 
and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called, every living creature, that was its name. Then man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Again, God working, creating, forming because he loved. And then in the context of that, there is this, there is this recognition of the goodness of God upon his creation, most especially those created in his image. You see, there's no question that there is a harmonious, loving relationship between the man and the woman. And it is generated because there is a deep and abiding love that God has for his image bearers. And it's clear that they love God supremely. And under the understanding of this supremacy of love or the supreme affection for God is no new thing. It was established the very moment that God created His image bearers. He related to them in loving kindness and care and protection and watchfulness. And there's no wonder that their response was to love Him back in a way that showed absolute and complete devotion to Him. And we see that. They carried on in life and they enjoyed His goodness. They understood that they existed because of him and all that they knew, all that they had, all of this was made possible by him. Reminded just a moment ago as Adam was going through a litany of the things that we have prayed for. We have prayed this week, we have prayed for 20 different things all directly related to the supremacy of God and how our love for him should be supreme. And we prayed and asked God to accomplish those things in us. Why? Because together as believers, we understand that the supreme love of God is first and foremost. And that we can't love him if he hasn't loved us. But he has loved us and loved us in Christ. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. He has loved us in Christ. Therefore, we should look to him and love him supremely. All that we need, not just physically, but all that we need emotionally. All that we need spiritually. All that we need is possible only by him. In other words, without his kind and gracious care, Adam and Eve, the first man and first woman, understood that they would cease to exist. I wonder if we feel that way. Or do we think that we exist on our own? Or do we think that somehow God has placed us in motion and somehow or another we exist apart from Him? Don't be foolish enough to believe that. We only exist because God has granted us existence. 
You're here today only because God has granted that you live today. You exist today because of Him. I exist today because of Him. In Genesis chapter 3, we hear that this harmony was interrupted. There came a day because it could come. In other words, there came a day because they could rebel that they did rebel against God. They disobeyed His command of restriction upon eating a certain fruit from a certain tree in the garden. Their supreme love for Him no longer existed. They determined that they were wiser, that they were more capable than God. Or at least that's what they wanted to believe, and that's what they sought to carry out. That's how they were tempted. And their rebellion ended with them being cast out of the garden. That garden that symbolized harmony and protection and intimacy. Here's how the scripture reads. Therefore, the Lord God sent him, meaning man, out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east end of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Did you hear that? Hear those words again. He drove out the man. Now you might say, uh, yes, man failed and he faltered in his love. But that doesn't sound like a loving response on the part of God. He drove him out. But the opposite is true. Not only did he drive him out, he guarded the tree of life. Why? He was protecting them. God continued to love and continued to protect. He protected them from eating of the tree of life. He protected them from further harm. The work to redeem them and to reconcile them had not yet been accomplished, but it would come. We're speaking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come and using Christ's words, would come not to be served, but to serve, giving his life as a ransom for many. We rehearsed that just a moment ago through our assurance of pardon, looking at the very fact that Christ gave himself. We sang that, looking at the fact that Christ came. The supreme love for God has always been the mark of the covenant people of God. Booney reminded us that the love of God toward us was always a sign of God's covenant toward us. But for covenant people, there was always the understanding that they were to love God supremely. And the only right response from those who live for the very pleasure of God this caring, loving, kind, gracious, and just God is to love Him. How do we know that? Listen to what God said to Israel, his covenant people. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, these commandments, this law of God, the very thing that God would use to teach us about His character and nature, the very thing that He would use to protect us from that which would harm us, His commands would be at the forefront of our hearts and minds because there is a direct connection between loving God supremely and obeying Him. And this brings us to our text today. And we have one point to make today. And that rests in we are to love God supremely. Colossians chapter 3, if you've turned there, let's read it together. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you also must forgive. And above all, put the... put. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The point, the first point of this text, is that though loving obedience to God is a universal standard, for all men and women, and it is the mark of a man or a woman with a supreme love for God, it can only be fulfilled by those who have been raised with Him. I want you to hear this again. The first point of this text points us to the fact that loving obedience to God is a universal standard. What does that mean? 
That means that we all, every one of us, whether we are believers or unbelievers, which means that every person in all of the world that has ever lived and that lives today and that will live, there is a universal standard that because God is creator and he is God, it necessarily means that he should be loved supremely by all and that is a universal standard. It's not just a standard for a believer, but it is a standard for every image bearer of God. Now let that rest on you for just a moment. That is the standard. So when we are talking about the standard of perfection, the standard of perfection is the same as the standard of loving God supremely, obeying Him in everything. Walking rightly with Him in every way. That is the universal standard. That is the very thing by which every person ultimately will be judged by as he or she stands before the throne of God. We've been reminded today, and it's been good to be reminded that as believers, we will stand before God, but we will stand before God as the redeemed if we've trusted Christ. We will stand before God with judgment having already been paid. Our judgment was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ in His death. He bore the penalty for our sin. He bore the penalty for our disobedience. He bore the penalty for our hatred toward God. If you'll recall, I'm just, I, want, I want you to hear this. Booney reminded us that we were moved from people of enmity into a loving relationship with God. What, was he, what did he mean? We were moved from being, if we trusted Christ, we were moved from being God-haters to God-lovers. We were moved from a place to where we hated and despised God to a place to where we would love God. And our, our goal, the standard, is to love God supremely. So why do we say at Oak Valley Church that we exist to love God supremely? Because that is the, that is the universal standard of every image bearer of God, is to love God. God supremely. And why wouldn't we? God created us. He made us in His image. We don't have anything apart from Him. We exist only because of Him. We are sustained by Him. We will stand before Him and be judged. He is holy. He is righteous. He is good. He is merciful. He is just. So what are we saying? The person who has not been raised with Christ. The text says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Point of the text is that this is a universal standard for all men and women. It is the mark of a man or a woman with a supreme love for God. And it can only be fulfilled. In other words, only the person that has been raised with Christ is able to love God supremely. It's a universal standard for all. But only the person that has been raised with Christ can love God supremely. For the person who has...
not been raised with Jesus Christ, though that standard is not removed, the ability related to the desire to love God supremely just isn't possible. It isn't possible. Paul tells us why it is only possible for those who have been raised with Christ. Well, let's look and see what he says. It's only possible because the person who has been raised with Christ has died. Notice what he says. If you have then been raised with Christ. Now Paul's talking to living people. So just be reminded that while we are using resurrection language. And while we are using death language. We are not talking about physical death at this point, And we are not talking about a, a physical resurrection at this point. We're talking about a spiritual Death, a dying to sin and being raised to life with Christ now, okay, now. But notice what he says. He said, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I want you to get this picture. Hidden, in other words, consumed, gathered up in, caught in, covered over with Christ in God, and that is where it's kept. That's where you are. That's the reason why when we look back at John 10, and we read that this morning in our assurance of pardon, that we are kept, we are held steadfast. We cannot be removed because those who have died and have been raised with Christ are hidden in Christ, hidden, buried in Christ, and they are with God. And where is Christ? Well, Christ is at the right hand of God. We see that in verse 1. He is seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean? It means that in reality, those who have been raised with Christ are hidden in Christ and are with God there being represented by Christ. If you'll recall when we were looking at Hebrews, we said repeatedly that Christ intercedes for us. It is as if we are there in the presence of God. Now why is this important? Well, it is important because wouldn't you think right now that if you were in the presence of God, what would your heart be like toward him? Don't you imagine that if you were right now in the presence of God, if you literally, if you felt yourself and understood yourself and knew that you were in the presence of God before the throne of God, what do you think your posture would be? I know what our posture would be. Someone who says that I love him now our posture would be that of love and adoration and worship. And every picture that we see of a believer in heaven, their posture is that of love and adoration and worship. Well, get this. If you have been raised with Christ, you are hidden in Christ with God, and He is at the right hand of God, which means we are in essence, if we have trusted Christ, we are there with Him. So it's not a, a broad leap. 
It's not a long jump to get to the place of understanding that we are enabled to love God supremely because we are in Christ. Why point this out? Well, there are at least two reasons why we need to note this. The first reason we stress this is because of our response to God. In the same way that the first man and woman existed in harmony with God before they sinned, they were able to love God supremely. And we've already noted that they did. They enjoyed fellowship with Him. We don't know all that their relationship afforded, but we know that they were accustomed to meeting with God in the cool of the evening, the Scripture tells us. I take that to be literal. I do. I take it to be literal. I believe that there was a set time each day that God had established that he came and visited with them. I don't believe that his intimacy with them and his connection with them was limited to that time only. But it is clear that the writer of Scripture wanted to point out this visitation from God on a regular basis where he sat down with his image bearers, if you will, and they fellowshiped together and had sweet communion and had a sweet relationship with each other. I believe that. By contrast, when we move on, the curses of their sin radically change that relationship. I think the author of Scripture was pointing to the close intimacy that they enjoyed. And then, whenever they sinned, there was something very, very different about the way God related to them and dealt with them, and necessarily so. He didn't stop loving them. He didn't stop protecting them. He didn't stop caring for them. But their relationship was very different, and it was different because man had determined that he would no longer love God supremely. Paul's pointing to the fact that those who have died in Christ and have been raised with Him should and do even now have a desire to love God supremely. So I want to ask you today, if you profess Christ, if you profess Christ, be honest with yourself. Do you have a desire to love God supremely? I would argue with you today and say that if you have if you have the desire to love God supremely, then yes, you do believe in Christ. But if you don't have a desire in your heart to love God supremely, I would question if in fact your faith in Him is a genuine faith in God. Why? Because everything points here that if we are literally in the presence of God and we are in Christ, if we have died to sin and we have been buried with Him and we have been raised up with Him, then we will, in fact, have this desire. Now, mind you, we won't carry it out with perfection. The very reason that Adam pointed us to the fact that we are saying these things and confessing these things and praying these things for each other is the, very, is the reason we have to have Christ to do this. We have to have Him to complete us. Notice that the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says that he was confident that He who began, he's talking about Christ, 
that Christ who began a good work, the Holy Spirit that began a good work in the life of this individual would complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. Listen to these for just a moment. Adam shared some of them, but I want to repeat these. Here are the things that we've prayed for this week. To know the will of God. We prayed for wisdom in understanding God's word. We prayed for the grace to please God. In other words, God work in us that we will want to please you. We prayed for spiritual fruit to be born in our lives. To help others to know what it is to follow Christ. We prayed for the power to resist sin and temptation. We prayed that we may live and serve well here in the midst of all the difficulties and struggles and hardships with great joy. We prayed for wisdom to see and know the revealed Christ. We prayed that our hearts would be increasingly and profoundly awakened to our hope in Christ. Prayed that we would realize that The power that we have to live in this age. A power that alone comes from God. We thanked God for His love and care. We prayed for spiritual strength that our faith in Him would grow. We prayed for grace to love others well. Prayed for grace to know Christ and experience His closeness. We prayed that we would be in unity with one another. We prayed that we would share the gospel of Christ boldly. We prayed for an unbroken consciousness of the return of Jesus. We prayed that we would be worthy of the calling that we have been called to. In other words, that I would be worthy to be called His bride. We prayed uh, that uh, He would... Uh, continue to work in us we prayed for an unwavering resolve for his goodness within us we prayed that Jesus would be glorified in us and exalted in our mind and in our hearts does that sound like that we have it within ourselves to love God supremely no but it does sound like a person who has a desire for those things to take place and to look to the one who accomplishes those things Paul is pointing to this fact pointing to the fact that those who have died in Christ and have been raised with him should and do now have a desire to love God supremely so the believer's response to God by virtue of his or her union with Christ is that of loving God supremely and there are at least two motives for this love And both flow out of what he has to say in verse 11. Look at what he says in verse 11. Here, there is not Greek and Jew. There's not circumcised and uncircumcised. There's not barbarian and Scythian. There is not slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. What does Paul mean when he writes... Christ is all. I I take that to mean that he is referring back to what he has already said about Christ. Look back in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on heaven, on earth, or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Look at chapter 2. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So we hear that Christ is all. Christ is the image of the invisible God. He created all things. He sustains all things. He rules all things. He reconciles all things that he intends to reconcile, namely those who God has chosen to love and reconcile. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. Put on then how? As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What are we hearing? Well, back to our point. We're stressing the fact that those who have been raised with him respond to him by loving him supremely. We state this as the first point of our identity. Why? Because it's first. That's why. It's first. Because God is first. You get that? It's tied to creation. It's tied to eternity first because God is first and nothing exists apart from Him. And He created everything so then we love Him first and supremely and all other affections flow out of Him and flow under Him. I want you to hear that again. All other affections flow out of him and under him. How do we know that? Well, look in verse 5. We're hearing this death-raised language, death-living language, this take-off-and-put-on language. What do we take off and put on? What do we kill? What do we slay? Well, have the ability to ultimately slay anything in regards to these but we in agreement with God push them out of our lives what things put to death therefore what is earthly in you in other words 
you've ever heard the term the mortification of sin, the killing of sin in our life, that's what it means. It means that we put that to death. In other words, we agree with God that these are things that God hates. So if God hates these things, then if I love God supremely, that means that I necessarily hate those things as well. You say, how do I know if I do that or not? Well, let me ask you this. Does sin in your life grieve you? I'm not asking you if you sin. I already know you sin. Look at me. You are looking at someone who sins. The condition of our heart regarding whether we love God supremely is whether sin actually grieves us. If sin grieves us, then we are saying, God, I want to love you supremely. I need to love you supremely. I need to hate what you hate, and I hate it in me. And that's what Paul was saying here. That's what he was pointing to. He was saying that there is an order here in which God is loved supremely, and all that he hates, we agree with him and we hate it. Why? Because those things are the things that God is bringing his wrath upon. In other words, he has stated his disapproval because the wrath of God is coming. And he also said that we have been saved out of that because if you look in verse 7, in these you also once walked when you were living in them. In other words, you were saved from those things. Continue to agree with God and hate those things. The point that he's making that loving God means that we hate what God hates and we love what God loves. In closing, just let me say this. I mentioned that there were two things. I mentioned that there were two reasons why we needed to stress this. And here's the other reason. And, and there is a one that is embedded in it. The other reason is, is that since loving God supremely is a universal standard and our existence is tied to that, and as Oak Valley Church we exist to love God supremely, then that would necessarily mean that not only are our affection all geared and prioritized under God, not only our affections, but all of our activity is tied to loving God supremely and then everything else in that order. Does that make sense? I love God supremely, therefore all of my activity and life and all of our activity here in the life of this church point to the fact that we want to love God supremely. So i use this as an example. Take your worship guide home today and look at the back under the children's portion of it. And I'm telling you to do this because I've already done it and I was blessed. Look at the back of it 
and you will see the elements of worship that we engage in every week here. Every week. Every week we've ever met and the weeks that we didn't meet and we sent out a worship guide. Every time. Because those are the things that point to a people, the activity that points to a people that seek to love God supremely. So not only are our affections aligned, but our activities are aligned. Now what does that look like practically? You may want to jot these down. We're not going to, I'm just going to mention them. Practically for us, it means that we set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. I, I won't rehearse this and repeat it, but we just came through Ecclesiastes. Did you get that out of our study of Ecclesiastes? I hope you did. I hope you did. That all these things on earth, they're going away. They're not worth living for. They won't sustain us here. They won't satisfy us here. They won't bring contentment here. They're not going to bring happiness here. They're not going to bring joy here. They're not going to give us value here. Okay? So we've heard that. Love what God loves and hate what God hates. We've said that. Model the character of Christ in our relationships. Look. We'll go into this more in loving sacrificially, but all you have to do is track through. No anger, no wrath, no malice, no slander, no obscene talk, no lying. All that goes away. Why? All that goes away because that is not, listen, that is not characteristic of who Christ is. And look at what is said in the last part of verse 10, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge. How? After the image of its creator. We are image bearers of God. And if you're here today and you don't have any idea how I would even begin to determine what an image bearer of God should look like, open up the Gospels and read Jesus. Open up the gospel and read Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. That's how I would find that out. Dwell in God's word and let God's word dwell in you. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, now it's not going to dwell in me if I don't dwell in it. You know, part of the discipline of our praying for the next 21 days, and by the way, if you didn't get a hard copy of those texts, it looks like this, the green sheet back on the resource page. Get that. Probably apart from this, our prayer lives will not consistently for 21 days be pointed to praying Scripture. But for 21 days, we're praying Scripture. Why? so that the Word of Christ will dwell in us. Genuinely worship God and thank Him. Look at what it says. 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And live to honor Christ in His name. Look at verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We exist to love God supremely. I literally could have taken any passage of Scripture and we could have gotten there. We did it from Colossians. The point is that we will never exhaust that thought, never exhaust that work. And for as long as we live and for as long as this church exists, my prayer is, is that we will rightly order our lives, our affection, and our activity with loving God supremely as the banner for all that we seek to do.